Well, good morning. We continue our series in the Psalms this morning with Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I say you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. And then as Noe shared earlier, a reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the most deeply personal and possibly deeply powerful things that you and I do as people of faith is pray. Whether it be daily or weekly or monthly, we find ourselves in moments when we open up a space in our lives to find some time with God. And for some of you, this is a daily ritual that you can almost set your clock by. And for others, it's a moment when we're responding to something that is happening around us or within us. For some, it might be some sort of a casual conversation with this friend that we have in Jesus. And for others, it's a list that you have, not unlike the list that is printed in our bulletins. This personal list of prayer requests, names of people that you want to offer to God for help. However you choose to pray, prayer is that sacred moment of connection with the Creator. In one way or another, it expresses something that is deep within you. And so when Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, I believe that he was getting in part to this deeply personal connection with God. The Pharisee in his prayer expresses his pride and his position. He reminds God of how good it is that God has the Pharisee on his team. But the tax collector looks deep within himself and finds something very different. He finds a certain level of shame and remorse, and he expresses a deep yearning for the mercy of God. And maybe in part, the story that Jesus is sharing with us, what Jesus is saying is that you are what you pray. You are what you pray. We've been talking about different psalms and this collection of prayers that capture the expressions of the people of Israel. And some of them are prayers of praise and some are laments or prayers of love or intercession or prayers for help and petition and confession. 
And in each one of them, there is this deeply personal expression to God of the heart of the psalmist. You are what you pray. It's a part of what prayer is. It identifies who you are. And it identifies where you are in a moment. But there is another part of prayer as well. And the other part of prayer, if we're courageous enough, is that prayer can be a discovery of who God is. Prayer can be that time when we not only tell God who we are, but we allow God to tell us who God is. Prayer can be that time that we not only tell God who we are. And the Psalms are wonderful tools to help us discover the nature and the character of God. And in learning about the nature and the character of God, we can open ourselves up by the power of the Holy Spirit to become more and more the likeness of God. You are what you pray. You're expressing yourself to God and you are becoming what you pray, not by just telling God what you want, but by allowing the character and nature of God form each one of you and myself by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Pharisee in our story thinks that God is some kind of an American Idol judge. He prays his performance prayer and perhaps becomes more prideful and arrogant and insensitive. But the tax collector, thinking and hoping that God was a holy and merciful God, prays his prayer of confession with the hope of being forgiven. And perhaps as a result of his prayer, he becomes a new creation of God's grace. You are what you pray and you are becoming what you pray. In the fall of 1960, a federal judge ordered that the white schools of New Orleans admit children of color. It was six years after the Brown versus the Board of Education decision, and it was still a radical order in the segregated South. And on November 14th, four elementary-aged African-American children walked into their schools for the first time. Three of them went to one building, and one of them went to another. And the sidewalks leading up to both schools were lined up with angry, racist parents. They were screaming every vile and abusive word that they knew, and the school buildings themselves were completely empty. They were boycotted by the white students and their families. One of the new students, the one who was attending this school all alone, was six-year-old Ruby Bridges. And every day, Ruby, like the others, would be subject to this attack, six years old. One day as she approached the school door in the midst of the angry mob, she paused. And she appeared to be talking with all these people. And when she got into the school building, her teacher who had witnessed this asked Ruby what she had said to the people. And she said nothing. But Ruby, I was watching it and it looked like you were talking to them. I wasn't talking with them, I was praying. What were you praying for, Ruby? I was praying for them. Robert Coles, the Harvard psychiatrist who spent that year counseling Ruby, asked what had possessed her to pray for the people who were screaming at her. And she said that's what she did with her mommy every night. She prayed for the people because they seemed to need to be prayed for. You know, you become what you pray. So this morning, the psalmist in Psalm 82 provides us a prayer 
And it's a prayer that we can meditate upon the nature and the character of God. This is not a prayer of expression. It's a prayer of meditation. A prayer through which to ponder the nature of God in order that we might become a little bit more like God. And in this prayer, God is at the judgment bench and brought before God are all of the gods of the earth. And they come into Yahweh's court and Yahweh pronounces judgment. How long, he says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And God says that if there is anything such as justice, it is this. Justice is for the weak and the orphan, maintaining the right of the lowly and the destitute, rescuing the weak and the needy from the hand of the wicked. This is Yahweh's, Israel's prayer inside of Yahweh's courtroom. It is a prayer for justice. It is a prayer that you and I might see the world as God sees it and that we might be changed by it. This is what I'm looking for, God says, justice. Justice not just for you, but justice for the weak and the orphan, the lowly and the destitute, the weak and the needy. You become what you pray. Abraham Joshua Heschel, the great Jewish scholar, said this about prayer. To pray is to bring God back into the world, to establish God's kingship, if just for a second. Do you have any idea what it might mean for you and me if we disciplined ourselves to establish God's kingship in this world, if only for a second? If prayer wasn't only just about us, but that prayer would be a sort of becoming. Do you remember Rick's sermon from last week? He told the story that Jesus taught about the sheep and the goats and the final judgment. And the Son of Man and all of his angels come and they gather up around the throne and the Son of Man is there to separate the sheep and the goats. And now is finally the time to see what God was really all about. What really matters to God? And what matters to God is what we've what we could have always been meditating upon. What matters to God is what we could have always been becoming. What is always on the mind of God is that God's people would see the hungry and that they would feed them. That God's people would see the thirsty and give them something to drink. That God's people would see the stranger and welcome them. That they would see the naked and get them clothing. See the prisoner and visit them. And as Rick shared, one of the ways that we do it here is through one great hour of sharing. But there are a lot of other ways as well. The point is, the outcast is always at the heart of God. The destitute, the oppressed, the one who is pushed to the margins is always at the heart of God. This is what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about looking outside of myself and opening up my eyes and realizing all those around who are hurting and feeding them and clothing them and maintaining the right of the lowly and bringing justice to the weak. The kingdom of God isn't all about me. We see the kingdom of God break through when we stop thinking only about ourselves and we allow the working of the Spirit to touch our hearts that we would care more about others, and especially those who are most in need. 
It impresses me that that's not always what I want. Too often I want my religion to be all about me, my relationship with God, my wants, my needs. Prayers where I tell God to get with my program. Kind of like this gravitational pull where God gets pulled into my world. That in my prayers I want God to understand me instead of me understanding God. And we settle. We settle with the world as it is. We settle with me as I am. And as long as I get my share, then maybe someday I'll think about somebody else. There really isn't a prompt to do anything about anything. Ely Wiesel, the great prophet and survivor of the Holocaust, made it his mission that we never forget the Holocaust. He insisted that we remember in every age that there are the oppressed, there are the weak, the orphans, the lowly, the destitute. The opposite of love, Weisel said, is not hate. It is indifference. Do you ever hear the story of the time when the devil held counsel with all the emissaries of hell? And he told them that he wanted to send one of them to earth to bring about the ruination of the souls of all people. And he asked for volunteers. And one creature came forward and Satan said, if I send you, what will you tell the earth, the people of earth to ruin their souls? I will tell the children of the earth that there is no heaven. And Satan said, they won't believe you. For in every heart there is a longing for heaven and a hope that good will eventually triumph over evil. You may not go. Another creature came forward more foul than the first, and Satan said, if I send you, what will you tell the children of earth to ruin their souls? I will tell them there is no hell. And Satan said, they won't believe you, for in every human there is a conscience, an instinctive sense that not only will good prevail, but that someday evil will be punished. You may not go. And then one more creature came forward, this one from the darkest place of all, and Satan said to him, if I send you, what will you say to the women and men to aid them in the ruination of their soul? And the creature said, I will tell them there is no hurry. And Satan said, go. You probably never heard the name Barbara Henry. But back in 1960, the word came that six-year-old Ruby Bridges would be attending William France Elementary School. And not only did all the children of the school and their families boycott and vacate the building, but so did all the teachers. All the teachers except for Barbara Henry. And Barbara Henry walked that same line of hate every morning to teach a little six-year-old girl. And for a year, all by themselves in a classroom of one, teacher and student, Ruby and Barbara held class together. Ruby Bridges said, Miss Henry was the nicest teacher that she ever had. Tell them there's no hurry. You know, the world is not as it should be. We all know that. Just look around. There are people who are sick and needy. There are people who are naked and alone. There are those who are grieving in prison. There are people who are oppressed. 
There are those who are destitute and weak and needy. There are those who need deliverance from the wicked. Do you see it? Do you see that the world is not the way that it should be? Because it all matters. Every little bit of it matters. When words, Eli Wiesel said, when words bring you closer to the prisoner, to the patient, to the starving child, then this is prayer. Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Are you becoming what you pray? If not you, who? If not now, when? Amen.